Hey church and happy Easter. What a day. I love Easter and not just because there is a leg of lamb in the oven and the world of chocolate waiting to be devoured, but because we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. He died and was buried and he rose again, conquering death, erasing all our sins, past, present and future so that we can enter into relationship with our Heavenly Father. Today is a day of celebration. Amen? Amen and amen. Okay, so I have never really been a massive fan of, of Disney. At least that's what I told myself. But when I sit down and I, and I think about it for even just a minute, I realize that there are myriad of incredible Disney films, aren't there? What, what are your favorites? Why don't you write down some of your favorites in the chat right now? It can be a classic. It can be a Disney Pixar. I'm not a purist. You write down whatever your favorite is. There are some great movies, aren't there? Going back, you've got Sword in the Stone, Robin Hood, The Jungle Book, and then more recently, the Toy Story movies, Wall-E, Inside Out. We recently watched a movie called Soul, which I would highly recommend. But I think one of my favorite Disney movies is The Lion King. You remember that part? Now, now I'm about to drop a spoiler, but you've had 26 years to watch this film, so I'm going to press on. You remember that part where the, the king lion, the father, Mufasa, he, he falls down and, and he's not getting up. He's, he's died. And have you, have you ever noticed how Disney does this? It just, they drop these like heart-wrenching moments early on in the movies and it gets you right here, doesn't it? So Mufasa, the king, is, is down and he's, he's not getting up. And, and Simba, his son, can't help but feel just a little bit guilty. Now there are absolutely greater forces at play here. The evil Scar had a hand in this moment for sure, but it's undeniable that Simba's act of defiance against his dad contributed to the stampede that ultimately led to his death. And when the reality of that moment landed on Simba, the, the weight of that truth hit. Do you remember? Do you remember what his response was? He ran. He ran away. Now, was the life that he, he ran to the worst life? Was it a life of crime? No, it wasn't. In fact, he made some new friends, didn't he? Hakuna Matata and all of that stuff. But he was miles away from where he was supposed to be and who he was supposed to be. In running away, he abandoned a world that desperately needed him to engage. And what I like about it is this, this synergy between Simba's response, his actions, and, and the message that we've been hearing over these past few weeks about destiny and about purpose. Because as Ruth said last week, we have all been put here for such a time as this. But then sometimes, 
stuff gets in the way or, or something happens and you, you lay down your destiny or you, you get knocked off, off track and you end up walking away from where you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be. Have you ever found yourself, maybe, maybe you're in like a holy moment and, and in that moment with God, just you and him, you make a promise to him. You make a promise, God, I am going to serve you all the days of my life. I am never going to sin again. I'm going to tell all of my friends about you. I am never going to do that thing I do again. And then two weeks later, maybe even less, you've strayed away. You've messed up yet again. And so what I want to do over the next few moments this morning is to look at some of Peter's story. I don't know about you, but after seeing these few video clips today and on Good Friday, I am always going to read Peter's story in a thick Welsh accent. I think it's incredible. Peter is one of the earliest and closest disciples of Jesus. And I said it before, he is by far, apart from Jesus, one of my favorite people in the Bible. I find him incredibly relatable. He is full of passion and enthusiasm, but he doesn't always think things through. He's the kind of leap before you look kind of guy. But just look at what his life looked like. He, he walked on water. When Jesus asked, who do you say I am? It was Peter who stepped up and declared, you are the Christ. It was Peter who, who first took the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the Gentiles. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he invited his disciples to come with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. He looked out on Friday and to come and to pray with him and they kept falling asleep. And then when the soldiers arrived, it was Peter who reached for his sword and, and cut off one of the soldiers' ears. I, I can only assume that in the heat of the moment, he was trying to kill a guy defending Jesus, but he ended up just chopping a lobe off. I, I, maybe he was just a bad aim, I don't know. But Jesus tells him to knock it off and he, he heals the guy's ear and then they, they arrest him and they take him away to the courtyard. And Peter and John follow along after. And it's there that Peter watches as everyone mocks and rejects Jesus, his best friend being treated oh so cruelly. And it's in that moment that someone says to him, hey, aren't you with that guy? No, I, I don't know him. Are you sure? Because I thought I saw you with him. Aren't you one of his guys? No, I don't know him. You certainly sound a lot like him. Maybe Jesus was Welsh. You certainly sound a lot like him. I think you're one of his people. No, I don't know him. And then just to, to prove that he is not one of those Jesus guys, he starts swearing like a trooper. And the scriptures tell us moment. In that moment, not only did the rooster grow, but Jesus looked right at Peter. And what was Peter's response? 
He ran away. He ran away. Not unlike our young lion Simba, Peter was, was so filled with the weight of guilt and shame of his actions that he, he ran away. And so as we, as we pick up our text this morning, Peter is still carrying that. He's still living under the weight of, of his denial. It says in John chapter 21, Starting at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Well, so what is this? After this, Jesus revealed himself. What is this? It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. After all this had happened... He then just starts appearing to people, doesn't he? He just starts popping up in random places in, in all kinds of weird and wonderful ways, which, which causes this kind of mixture of, of excitement and, and of confusion. And as you read the story, you can almost feel the excitement of people starting to, starting to grow, starting to build. But then it goes on in verse 2, it says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Peter says, I'm going fishing. What are they doing here exactly? What is going on? Are they, are they killing time while they wait for Jesus? So maybe they're just, they just want to have a bit of fun. Well, it says later on that, that they were out all night and they caught nothing. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like fun to me. When Peter said, I'm going fishing, I don't think he was just looking for something to pass the time. This was a career move. This was a career move. He thought that what had happened had happened and that was done. And so now he was just going to return to what he knew best. He was just going to return back to what was comfortable. Was it the, the worst life that he was running away to? No, not at all. Being a fisherman isn't, isn't a bad career choice. He's not a, turning to something terrible. But this decision to, to go fishing, to return back to his old life, it moved Peter away from where he was supposed to be and who he was supposed to be. You know, I think that when we're, when we're feeling the shame of, of bad decisions or, or we're processing difficult circumstances and moments in our lives, we can find ourselves kind of bouncing like pinballs between busyness and distraction, busyness and distraction. We need, a, we need a win at work to make us feel like we're, we're worth something. And so we throw ourselves into what we know how to do. And then we need a distraction to, to take our minds off things. So we scroll for hours through social media or, or lose ourselves in Netflix just to take our minds off things. I can say this with confidence because that's been me. And so with the, with the weight of this, this guilt and shame that Peter is feeling, he says, well, I'm going fishing. 
I'm going fishing. And then the others look at him and they say, yeah, all right, we'll go. And so off they go. Off they go, returning to their old ways, slipping into what they knew, looking for a win, I guess. But guess what? They caught nothing. They caught nothing. I love that. These, these learned fishermen spent all night in the boat and they caught nothing. Now that is God. That is without a doubt God. He's, he's setting them up for what is about to happen. And so after a full night fishing and catching nothing, it says this in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They didn't know it was him. They'd spent three years with Jesus, pretty much every waking moment for three full years, learning from him, doing life with him, and yet they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him. What was going on here? Was it, was it distance? Well, it says he was only a hundred yards away. Was it because he was figured? We know that he, he still bore the scars of his crucifixion. Maybe it was disbelief, but it, it can't be Jesus. We, we saw him die. I don't know, but I think, I think this was Jesus. I think he was just, he was just playing with them. And this wasn't the first time that he'd done it since he rose from the grave because, you know, he had a conversation with Mary, didn't he? And she thought he was a gardener. He had a full conversation with her and she didn't recognize him. He walked with those two guys on the road to Emmaus for seven miles. They told him about his own life and death. They talked to him about everything that he had been through and they didn't recognize him. And on that journey, he begins to unpack some of the truths for them to try and help them maybe just kind of grasp hold of what this all meant. And then it wasn't until they got to, to where they were going that he does that thing where you kind of fake continuing going on, but actually you're really angling for a dinner invite. And he's like, oh, it was great chatting with you guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on going for another 10. Maybe I'll see you around. I don't know. And they get the hint and they invite him for some dinner. And it's, it's only when he breaks bread with them that he reveals who he is. And then he disappears. And so they race back the seven miles back to the upper room where the other disciples are. And they, they burst into the room and they're like, he's alive. He's risen. We've seen him. And then boom, he appears in the room. Peace be with you. So they're in the boat after a, a failed night of fishing and Jesus appears on the shore. But they don't recognize him. And look at what it says in verse 5. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Children? Children? How dare he? We are fishermen. This is what we know. This is what we do. Children indeed. And he says, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, will cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. 
So they cast it and, and now they're not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Wait a minute. Wait just a minute. Have, have we not seen this exact thing happen before? Yeah, this isn't the first time that Jesus has done this. Do you remember the first time? Do you remember when he did it before? It was at the beginning of his ministry when he very first called Peter to follow him. I imagine in that, in that first instance that, that Peter was probably a little bit frustrated having this, this Jesus character, this, this carpenter, giving him instructions on how to fish. This is what I do. But he switches sides anyway because that's what Jesus has told him to do and bam, more fish than they can cope with. And so in that first instance, what was Peter's response? He dropped to his knees and he said, get away from me. Get away from me. I am not a good person. But what I love is Jesus' response back because he says, no, I've got plans for you. I've got a destiny for you to fulfill. So what's the point of this? Why do the same trick twice? I don't believe it was coincidence or chance that in Peter's greatest moment of failure, Jesus chose to recreate the moment he first used to call Peter to walk with him. He was demonstrating that the relationship's still open. This, this mistake you've done is not too big for me to forgive. You are not too far gone. And friends, neither are we. And Peter responds to this, this act of love and grace in a way that I hope you will today. He stops running away from God and he starts moving towards him. It says in, in verse 7 that the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. This is classic Peter, isn't it? He just goes for it when he hears the truth, when he recognises this is Jesus. He puts on his outer garment to jump into the sea. Who does that? And then it says that he threw himself into the sea. Not a dive, nothing graceful about it. He just flings himself in and goes for it. He's not perfect. It looks messy, but he knows one thing, enough Running, I need to be close to Jesus. Maybe today you're a bit like Peter and you've been running away from God. You're not perfect. You, you may not have it all together. You don't know the right words to say. But, but like I shared on Good Friday, it doesn't need to be clean. It doesn't need to be perfect. God's not looking for perfect. He's looking for an honest and authentic relationship. And so in verse 8, 
It says the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. Don't worry, Peter, we'll bring it in. You just crack on with what you're doing. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Remember that. And laid out on it fish and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. I love that. Jesus already had fish on the barbecue. He doesn't need their fish. He doesn't need anything that, that we've got to bring, but he invites it anyway. Bring some of the fish that you've got. So Simon went aboard and he, he hauled the net ashore. He, he felt guilty, so he helped them bring it in. 153 fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I love that invitation. Come and have breakfast. I don't know where, where you're at or, or what you've been through. I don't know if you're running from God right now or, or, or if you're walking with him. But what I do know is that in this moment, in this moment of Peter's greatest failure, when he's carrying all this guilt and this shame, Jesus recreates that moment of connection. And he says, I still want you. And that's what he's saying to you. That is his heart. This relationship is still open. I want you. I love you. And in this moment, Jesus isn't angry with Peter for what he's done. I think he has every right to be angry with Peter, but he isn't. He doesn't start smacking him around the head and calling him out for his failures. He doesn't even raise his voice. Instead, Jesus just says, come and have some breakfast. And so I also highlighted the, the mention of charcoal fire. Do you know that phrase, that, that language is only used twice in the Bible. Once here in this moment that we're reading right now, and the only other time that it's used is in the courtyard where Peter denied Jesus. What a beautiful thing for Jesus to do. Why is that beautiful, you might ask? When Peter denied Jesus, he was sat beside a charcoal fire. And so when Jesus restored Peter, he prepared a charcoal fire. I think this is key because scent, smell and memory are so closely linked. Have you, ever, have you ever smelt something and then instantly been transported back to a memory from your past? I think without this moment, without this moment, Peter would have smelt a charcoal fire and been instantly transported back to that moment where he denied Christ. Despite all of his talk about following Jesus, even to death, that smell would remind him of how he'd failed, of how he'd messed up. And so Jesus does this beautiful thing and he, he prepares a charcoal fire and he, he shares some breakfast with them and he's letting Peter know that he's forgiven, that he is restored. 
And so now when he, he gets that smell of a, a charcoal fire, it will no longer take him back to the, the greatest failure in his life, but instead to one of the greatest moments in his life where he got to share breakfast with the risen Christ. He would no longer remember his failures, but instead the love and the grace of God. How amazing is that? And so after breakfast, Peter says, Jesus says, sorry, to Peter, Simon, son of John, he's using his full name here. You better sit up and listen and pay attention to what I'm saying. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Why is Jesus repeating himself? Is he, is he being mean? Is he, is he mocking Peter? Is this some kind of comeuppance for all of Peter's failures? Because it certainly sounds that by the third time, Peter is getting frustrated and upset. You know that I love you. I don't think so. I, I don't think that that's what Jesus is doing here because if Jesus wanted to pile on the guilt and the shame, he'd have pointed backwards. Look at what you did. Look at what you said. But instead, what does he do? He points forward. He says, let's move on from this. Go, take care of my sheep. Stop running away and step into your destiny and your purpose and your future. It's just beautiful because Jesus not only recreates that moment of connection, he recreates that moment of Peter's greatest failure, not to hurt him, but to heal him, to restore him. And he'll do the same with you. Jesus didn't want Peter to feel shame every time he, he smelt a charcoal fire or he heard a rooster crow. He wanted Peter to know that he was loved, that he had a purpose. When you turn back to God, whether it's for the, the first time or the hundred and first time, he doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to heal you. Don't let the failures of your past determine your future. He says, let's move on. Let's look forward. I don't know, maybe you feel like a failure this morning. Maybe you feel like you've made just one too many mistakes, but, but God wants you to know you have never gone too far for his love, for his restoration, for his grace. There is no such thing as too far gone for Jesus. God rejoices in coming to those who are in the midst 
of failure, in the midst of shame and of guilt and saying, this relationship is still open. I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. Your wounds can be dealt with by my grace if you'll let me. If you let me, I will heal you and together we can step into your future. And I love this in verse 19. After saying all this, he said to them, follow me. Follow me. Will you hear the invitation of Jesus to follow him today? Will you declare, I don't want my life to be dictated by my failure, but dictated by my faith? Because of the work on the cross, God can heal even a wretch like me. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, that's all rosy and everything, but you don't know what I've done. You don't, you don't know my story. How can Jesus just wave his hand and dismiss all of the things in my past? But let me tell you, that's, that's not what he does how can Jesus be so gracious to, to Peter when he's denied even knowing him? It's because Jesus didn't dismiss Peter's sin. He paid for it. He didn't dismiss our sin. He paid for it. Jesus can be gracious here because of this our passage started with. What's this? His death, his burial, and his resurrection because of this. And he looked at Peter and he said, I know what you did and I've paid for it. I know what you were a part of and I've buried it. I know what was, what was ruling your life and I have conquered it. And now I'm calling you. The relationship is still open. I'm still here. I've got plans for you and a purpose for you. No more running away. No more hiding. You have a purpose and a future. Follow me. Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you so much for this, this day, this Easter Sunday, where we can celebrate everything that it means that you died and rose again that you conquered death so that all of our sins, past, present and future can be forgiven, can be wiped clean so that we can have relationship once again with our Heavenly Father, so that we can enter the throne room, throne room with boldness. Father God, we are so grateful that we can just accept your love and your grace, that you aren't angry with us, but you are gracious to us that you aren't shouting at us, but you are calling us, follow me. And so God, we just want to thank you this Easter Sunday and celebrate all that you did when you chose to die on the cross and rise again. We thank you. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Do you know our greatest need and God's greatest gift are the same thing, forgiveness of sins. And to receive it, we only have to ask. 
So if you've related to, to Peter's story this morning, if you, if you feel like you've been running away, but perhaps you recognize that you need to stop and turn around, why not, why not pray with me right now? It doesn't need to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect. We can come to God a broken mess, and that is absolutely fine. He wants us to come as we are, open honest, transparent, authentic, all of that. That's how he loves it. That's how he wants us to approach him. So if you'd like to stop running away and start moving towards Jesus, then why don't you pray this prayer with me? And, and as we acknowledge what it is that we've done wrong, you know, the ways in which we've messed up, Jesus doesn't want us to feel guilty. That's not why we do it. We don't acknowledge our sins so that we can pay the price because he paid the price for us. He doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to heal us. But we need to start by acknowledging that we mess up, by saying sorry and asking for his forgiveness. So so if that's you today, if that's you today, then why don't you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe that you have taken away my sin and shame. Right now, I put my trust in you and ask you to come into my life. I'm sorry for the wrong things that I have done. But today, I choose to follow you. Amen. Amen. Amazing. Well, if that's you and you have prayed that prayer along with me today, then please, please, please get in touch and let us know because we want to celebrate this moment with you and we want to help you to learn more about where you should be and who you can be in Christ. Amen.